begin a new sermon series this week on the book of Romans. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7 this morning, the introduction to the book of Romans. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this word, your inspired, infallible word, and we pray that you would, by your spirit, um, change our hearts and change our minds and change our lives, uh, that we might know the reality of this good news Um, not just as information, but that it would transform us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know some of you are um, aware of uh, John Krasinski, of the Office television show fame, and how he has, uh, over the course of this pandemic, he's done a series on uh, YouTube, a YouTube series called Some Good News, the effort to have some news highlighted, uh, that was going on in, in you know, in this, in this uh, environment of bad news and, and um, uh, wonderfully encouraging, you know, to see the good things that are happening. And nothing's really changed, you know. That was the, the first few months of the pandemic. And uh, last week I said, you know, the change of calendar year doesn't mean that uh, by magic we're going to, to move from a time of um, unrest and upheaval to a time of peace. I don't consider myself to be a prophet at all, but I was prescient on that, uh, on that claim, as we've seen uh, last week. Um, and uh, I would say that I think we all would agree on this, that we could use some good news, right? And what we have in the book of Romans is good news. And we find specifically that terminology used here at the beginning in the introduction to the book of Romans by the Apostle Paul. Romans 1, 1 speaks of the gospel of God. The gospel is good news. You, Angelion. You, good, Angelion, news or message. The good message from God. Now, in order to have good news, uh, it has to be reliable. It has to be genuine. We've all heard of, probably all of us have spoken of, fake news. And it doesn't matter whether you're on the right or the left in the political spectrum. Everybody's talking about fake news and how the, uh, the news sources out there are not reliable. Well, for us to have good news, for it to truly be good news, it, it needs to be reliable news. If somebody said, for instance, that tomorrow there are going to be 100,000 doses of the uh, COVID vaccine coming into Bay County, everybody would be quite encouraged. But if that was fake news... It would do us no good. 
So we've got to consider the source. And a lot of what we have in uh, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, is just that. It's a declaration that the source is good, that the source is reliable, that the source is infallible, that we can place our faith implicitly in the Word of God here to us in Romans, in the book of Romans. We see here Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel, for the good news of God. We hear her we hear here first that Paul is a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, when we think of slavery, our mind goes uh, generally to the, the American 19th century uh, version of slavery, which was really kidnapping uh, and enslaving. And, uh, but in the first century, it was, it was a little different. In the Bible, the concept was different. And not to say that slaves uh, had it uh, in a comfortable way, uh, nor is it to downplay that, but they were owned by their master. But in fact, a Roman slave oftentimes, oftentimes could actually earn money and could actually buy their way out of their state of slavery. That was Roman slavery. And in the Bible, and in the Old Testament, the term a slave or servant of God was a title of honor. It was a title given to uh, God's leaders uh, that were representing him to the people. For instance, Moses is called the servant of God in the Old Testament. And Joshua is called the servant of the Lord. In, uh, in, the, uh, in the time of the Bible was written in the New Testament, in fact, the, the servant of Caesar was actually somebody that um, engendered a lot of respect because he oftentimes would have uh, much responsibility and would speak on behalf of Caesar in a number of venues. And we have sort of this idea with the servant of the Lord, the servant of God, um, who um, had a position that God had called them in to be his emissary to the people. Now, not to say that that those who are called to be servants of the Lord, uh, that that's an easy task. Uh, We find in the Bible that it's not, that there are not only uh, very important roles that the servant of the Lord has, but uh, difficult and even mundane and menial roles that God has called them to. And we find this when it comes to the Apostle Paul, that Paul, as he's called to be a servant of the Lord... Um, is called to a very high position and yet a a very difficult position and at times a position that requires him to do menial service. And so in Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 16, we see the account of the, the Apostle Paul called to be a servant of the Lord. And so let's read that. Acts chapter 9 verse 1. At this point, he, the Apostle Paul is called Saul. Uh, he has not had his name changed yet. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So we find that Saul was, in fact, in opposition to Christ and to Christianity. Saul was an extremely, extremely learned 
uh, person who understood Old Testament law, the Bible. And uh, he thought he was doing service to the Lord in persecuting Christians. And then in verse 3, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a, vo- a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And then verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision, in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. To carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Here the Apostle Paul receives his his commission. Uh, he He is called to be a servant of the Lord. He is called to do mighty and important things with the authority of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, very same time, he's told how much suffering he will have to endure as part of this calling. The Apostle Paul was a servant of the Lord, and he was also an apostle. In verse 1, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, set apart for the good news as an apostle. The word apostle means literally one who is sent out. Uh, He is one who is sent out as an emissary of the king. And in fact, we find out something about who that king was that sent him out in verses 1 through 4. And so like Moses and like Joshua, like the Old Testament prophets were called with a specific calling of proclaiming the good news, the word of God, the Apostle Paul in a very important and distinct way is called to proclaim the good news. Jesus had many disciples, maybe hundreds of disciples in his earthly ministry, but only 12 were called apostles and designated apostles by him. And here the apostle Paul is also designated as an apostle. Uh, One of the requirements of the apostles we see in the book of Acts is that they be an eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ. And we find here the apostle Paul was an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus Christ. There are people in our day and age that call themselves apostles. Now, we could be an apostle in the general sense, the lowercase a sense of apostle, and that is one who is sent out by the Lord, but not in the sense that the apostle Paul was an apostle. He was one uniquely, along with the 12 apostles, called to, designated to proclaim, to be witnesses of 
the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And thus they received the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what they wrote, what they conveyed was truly the very word of God. So who was this Jesus that sent the Apostle Paul out to proclaim his good news? Now, part of what we need to do, if you go and look at verses 1 through 7, we see uh, some of this is a kind of a condensation of what we've learned, not only over the past month during Christmas, ramping up to Christmas about King Jesus, but all the way back to September, where we've learned about the authority of Jesus Christ. So I'm not going to rehash a couple of months. Uh, Go back and listen uh, to the last couple of months of uh, sermons. You can get them online if you want information on that. But let's just look at a few of the things that the, um, the Apostle Paul says here in outline form. Uh, first was in, in verse 2 that God foretold by the prophets uh, the good news, and specifically the arrival of Jesus and, and the good news that Jesus, by his arrival, would produce. And this was hundreds, if not thousands, of years before the time of Jesus Christ. Secondly, in verse 3, we read that Jesus was descended from King David. He was in the line of David. Number 3, in verse 4, we see that Jesus was resurrected from the dead, which demonstrated his authority and his power over death. And I want to specifically highlight here in keeping these things in mind that he was both a flesh, his flesh had a beginning... He was conceived in the womb of Mary, and God's son was also David's son, but he was also the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity who existed from all eternity. And so when Jesus Christ entered planet Earth, he was truly God and truly man in one person. Romans 1, 3, and 4. Again, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh... And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection, by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the Jesus that Paul met. This is the Jesus that appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. This is the divine man himself. And so the Apostle Paul is receiving The information he is receiving, the good news that he is receiving, he is receiving from Christ Jesus himself. He got it, as it were, from the horse's mouth. And we see Paul making that argument himself to the Galatian churches in the church at Galatia in chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel, the good news that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it. From any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, we learn of, of the reliability of any prophecy of Scripture that we receive, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, right? So what we have in Scripture is is infallible. We can believe it. We can trust it. We can bank our lives on it because it came not from 
any man, human writers wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit to write every word as God intended. And then later, Peter in the second, second Peter chapter 3, 15 and 16 speaks specifically of the Apostle Paul and count the patience of our Lord as salvation just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks of them, in them, of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So the Apostle Peter um, acknowledges that here, here that the Apostle Paul's writings are received as scripture by the early church and by God himself. God's authorized apostles state that as well. And it says that some of Paul's writings are hard to understand. I think uh, he may be referring to the book of Romans. There's some, uh, some heavy things we're going to be covering in the book of Romans. And yet it is the very word of God. So this is important at the very outset of the book of Romans to say this. Because sometimes there are things that are difficult to understand because they're complicated. And there are sometimes things that are difficult because it's contrary uh, to what we might want to believe. Right? I heard a woman on social uh, media this, this, uh, this week. I was, I was on Facebook and um, maybe it was on Twitter. I can't remember. One of the, one of the two. I, did, I don't know this particular individual. Obviously a Christian. And she said something to the effect like this, well, my God wouldn't require this of me. That's, that's not the God I serve. My God wouldn't, wouldn't do that. Well, you know, our opinion about God and what he says, it's, it's, not, like, um, it's not like a Yelp review, right? We don't, we don't get our opinions of God and what he says to us. You know, it's, it's you know, Yelp review, you know, you can write, well, I really like that burrito at the, at the restaurant down the street. Uh, kind of helpful information. You know, I can take it or leave it. Uh, there's a sense in which, politely I say, I could care less about your opinion about God. Unless, you, unless your opinion about God is vested with the infallible inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In the Word of God, in the book of Romans... We have the infallible, inspired word of God. You know, many years ago, uh, I got caught up in kind of the, um, uh, when the stock market was going crazy and the day trading thing, and I had my theory on how to, how to trade some stocks, and I put some money into it, and, and, uh, and it was working out actually pretty well for a while until I lost uh, some, uh, a fairly good amount of money. And, and I did it not because my theory was wrong. My theory was required uh, that I understand the financial fitness of a company. And as I watched that company's stock go down, uh, that I would invest. And then inevitably the stock would go up as people realized this was a financially secure company. The problem was, in this particular stock, the company lied about its financial fitness. And therefore, the stock continued to tank, right? We need reliable news, reliable information that we are going to put our stock in. And this is the good news that we are receiving 
from God in the book of Romans. It is good news. It's not fake good news. It's reliable good news. So what is the good news? The gospel contains power for salvation. That is the good news. We read in Romans 1-4 that the Son of God has the power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then if you go down to verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it has the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we see here in verse 5 that the Apostle Paul received grace and apostleship for a particular purpose, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. Now that term, obedience of faith, is, is really, if you look at the Greek language in which this was written, it's very similar. It's for you language buffs out there, it's simply a genitive Uh, obedience of faith. And so we can take this in a couple of different ways. And one way that many commentators take this phrase is the obedience that results from faith. That we know the Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith. That we understand we are sinners. uh, That the Bible tells us that. We've learned that in the book of Romans. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that by rights We deserve his justice. The wages of sin is death. We deserve the the wages of sin, separation from God, and eternity in hell, even the Bible says. And yet, the good news is that if we place our faith in Jesus and what he's done and the punishment that he endured for us on the cross and in his perfect life lived for us, uh, that we are right in God's sight. And so we're saved by grace. We don't earn it or deserve it. We don't merit it. Uh, apart from works, apart from works of the law, apart from obedience, we're saved. And yet we know that if we come to faith in Jesus Christ and rely on him for obedience, that he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion in Jesus Christ, that, that you are the outflow of your faith in Christ and reliance upon him will be good works, that you'll do those things. And so many think that that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about, the obedience of faith. I, however, do not think that's what Paul is talking about here, though that's true theology. That's, that's good biblical theology. I believe that what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is his call for those to respond to the gospel in faith. The obedience of faith. Um, and I say that because that's the context. The Apostle Paul is calling on the Romans, he's calling on all of us to place our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And we see this kind of language of faith and reliance upon faith, and yet this obedience of faith, obeying the gospel, in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, because if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. And then skipping down to verse 14. Then how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without someone preaching? 
And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ, right? So the Apostle Paul was saying that there is a a pronouncement of this good news and that we respond in faith. Now, it is not a, a faith that earns us anything, right? It's a faith that relies on the obedience of somebody else, of Jesus Christ. And yet, it is a respond to a command, okay? The command to repent and believe. When we, when, we re, when we receive, when we hear the good news, it's not just a matter of information. And it's not just a free offer of salvation, though it is. It's a command, Parents, you've got your kids by the side of the road, a busy street, and, um, and there are cars coming either direction, and you, and you say to your children, now I want to explain to you, right, the, uh, the consequences of certain actions. If you go out into the road, um, you may be run over by vehicles, but I'm going to leave it to you. You can decide in, you know, whether you want to chance it or not. I'm just, I'm just laying out there this information that might be helpful to you. No, you say, do not go into the road. And the Bible calls us to repent and believe. It is not an option. It is a command. And some will receive that and will obey and place their faith in Jesus Christ and by grace receive salvation. And so the nations now have this message This good news, it says here in Romans 1, 5, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. That included those in Rome. The church in Rome at that time was uh, probably a diverse church. It probably included several congregations. Um, We uh, learned in the book of Acts that the apostle Paul himself had some traveling companions and fellow ministers, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And Priscilla and Aquila were part of a group of uh, Jews, in this case Jewish Christians, that were, um, that were I guess, exiled is the right word, from Rome. Uh, the Roman uh, Caesar uh, decreed that all Jews at a certain point were to leave Rome. And that included all ethnic Jews, whether they were Christians or uh, non-Christians. We know that there were Romans that were at the uh, day of Pentecost where Peter preached the gospel. And undoubtedly, they brought this good news back to Rome. They brought the message back to Rome. Churches were formed. And these included both uh, Jews and Gentiles who were God-fearers, who were observant in many ways of the, the Jewish faith. And so that's where Christianity began in Rome. And then as uh, Gentiles... Uh, heard the word of Christ, they believed, and then, of course, people were cast out, so there was a primarily a Gentile uh, leadership in Rome, and then finally, the Jewish Christians began to come back, and we find that because in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul says, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the church that meets in their house, right? So we've got in the book, in, in Romans, we've got this diverse group of people, Jews and Gentiles, uh, that are hearing uh, this good news of Jesus Christ. And so it's, it's come to Rome, 
from Jerusalem all the way to Panama City. It's not simply to uh, one family. It's not simply to one ethnic group. The gospel has come to us. This good news is truly worldwide good news. And through the good news, we experience being loved by God. We're loved by God, Romans 1, 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, 2, we read, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Good news. We're all called to be saints. We're set apart as his precious people. It says God called us to be his saints. Saints simply meaning those that are set apart. We're set apart as his precious sons and daughters to live for him and his loved and to be saved by him. Good news. Through Jesus Christ, we receive grace and peace. Unearned favor of God. And last week we found out that Jesus Christ was the king of peace and that he will give us peace now and in perfection for all eternity. And so we're going to begin to hear about all of these things, all of this good news that the Apostle Paul will be proclaiming to us and that God through him will proclaim to us through the letter of the book of Romans. And so we receive by faith this good news and place our faith in Jesus Christ and we can And if that's not happened for you today, it can happen for you today that you can know what it means to not only hear but to receive the good news that Jesus Christ has come for you in his love. He paid the price for you on the cross that if you would turn and confess your sins and trust in what he's done that you will receive salvation. You will receive peace now and for all eternity and an eternal relationship with God. And for those of you who know God, uh, we need good news. We continue to be, uh, re- need to be reminded of this good news and be encouraged by it because we will deal with bad news throughout our life. And we need the ultimate good news to support and encourage and vitalize our lives Polycarp Polycarp was the Bishop of Smyrna. He was aged about uh, 86. 86 years old, he got some really bad news. It's about 160 AD. And that bad news was that the governing authorities were looking for him, and they wanted to capture him, and they wanted him to recant his faith in Jesus Christ, or else they were going to um, execute him. And so the police and the horsemen came to his house at supper time. It was on a Friday. Uh, They came to apprehend him, and he invited them into the house. He said, it's dinner time. Would you like something to eat? He served them food. He said, I know you're here to take me, but would you give me some time to pray? And so they did, and he exited to another room and prayed. And uh, after that was over, they were thinking, why in the world are we arresting this, this godly man who means no harm to anybody? But they did. And they brought him uh, back to the authorities. And they said to him, recant Christ and you will be set free. And he said, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And so he received some really bad news that day. um, The ultimate bad news about his life. 
And yet all during his 86 years, he acknowledged that he knew uh, the lover of his soul, Jesus Christ, and that he had done him nothing but good. And his confidence that he would continue to do him nothing but good, even at the prospect of death. Martin Lloyd-Jones has said this, every other religion is sending advice. Here are the rites, here are the rituals, here's the transformation and of consciousness, and here are the laws and regulations. The gospel is an announcement of what has been done for us, and in the peace and the joy of our King of Kings, we have victory. Let's go to him in prayer. Jesus Christ, we thank you that we too know what it means to be loved by you. We know the reality of this good news that you came into this world as our King and as our Savior and that you did what we could not do in your life and in your death on the cross. And we pray, Father, that you would encourage us as we, uh, not only today, but as we look at the book of Romans and that this would be something that is constantly on our minds, this good news, as we live our lives for you, that we might First, believe it in the, in the first place, but then it would be something that would revitalize and inspire our lives as we live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.